So dictionary.com defines peace as the normal, non-warring condition of a nation, group of nations, or the world. An agreement or a treaty between warring or antagonistic nations, groups, etc., to end hostilities and abstain from further fighting or antagonism. A state of mutual harmony between people or groups, especially interpersonal relations, try to live at peace with your neighbors. The normal freedom from civil commotion and violence of a community, public order and security. Cessation of or freedom from any strife or dissension. Freedom of the mind from annoyance, distraction, anxiety, and obsession, tranquility, serenity. That is kind of the world's definition of peace, and it really isn't going to do us any good here this morning um, because we're talking about a different kind of peace here, a peace that is different from the, what the world gives. It's a shalom peace. As a matter of fact, John 14, 27, Jesus says this. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And, and so God gives this, this, this peace to us, and as we've been studying the fruits of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, we, we've started with love, and we, we come to the understanding that it's God's love, that His great love for us is, is, is where the promises of God lay. It's where our hope lays. It's, it's where um, everything for us, the, 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 uh, to, to be anxiety-free and all of those things because of what's to come, not, not because of what's happening now, but because of what's to come, because of God's love and what He's accomplished uh, on the cross for us, uh, we come to understand that we have a hope, which then brings a joy into our lives, the idea that we can be okay even when we're not okay, that, that it's different from happiness, that happiness being kind of more subject to our circumstances, this joy is something that transcends our circumstances. It's something that we can have despite what is going on in our world. And peace is, again, this same thing. Peace isn't just the absence of conflict in our lives. It is the presence of something in our lives. It's the presence of God and the peace and the love and the joy that only He gives. Now, Ben mentioned last week, and I want to reiterate this point, we're not coming up with kind of a checklist here as we go through the fruit of the Spirit, that we're trying to attain these things, that we're trying to be, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to be love and joy and peace, and we're trying to attain these things or reach some kind of a state of mind of these things. The reality of it is, is that we are called to be connected and so rooted into Christ that these things become evident in our lives. These things become something that just happen in our lives. They just begin to show up when we're living really close with Jesus. It is given, this idea of peace is a gift. Now, sometimes we look at something like this, we look at a scene like this, and we think of it being peace or tranquility. Certainly, I mean, it has those, those elements to it, but really, God doesn't describe his peace like that. He, he relates it to a river, and, and a river is something that's very different than this, right? So, so we've got uh, Isaiah 48, 18, oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments, then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. The thing about a river is that a river is always moving. A river is never static, and neither is life. 
Life is always moving. And in the midst of our greatest tragedies or struggles in this world, life continues to move forward around us at all times. Sometimes we even feel like what I'm going through right now, it feels like the rest of the world should quit and shut down, but it doesn't. But see, God's peace is something that is at work in the midst of this. God's peace is something that is moving, and it's moving with life, and it's moving with us at all times. And it's present. And you see a river, and a river, if you're, if you're like shooting the rapids in a river, there's all kinds of obstacles. There's big stones. There's rocks. There's all kinds of things, and you're trying to avoid those obstacles as you do it. But, you know, right behind those things, right behind the greatest rocks and the biggest things that are in the way that seem to be an impediment to moving forward on the backside of those things is something called an eddy. And an eddy is a place where, because the river is flowing around it, it creates a calm place in the midst of it. And you can actually get your boat into that eddy and you can take a break right there. And this is much, I think, how God's peace is in our lives. It's in the midst of it. It's in the middle of the storm, like we sang this morning. We can be well because God is bigger than our greatest problems. Amen? And so we can sit in this eddy of life, and we can just take a break, and we can experience the peace of God, even though the, the river is raging around us and the rapids are going and all of these kinds of things. You can get into the peace of God, and you can sit there, and you can be still in that place. But here's the deal. You don't get to stay there. You don't just get to stay in the eddy. The river is moving on just like life is. And so we have to also, when we get a break and we experience that peace, we got to paddle back out and get back into the middle of it because this peace is a peace that is transcending the things that are going on around us. It's not the absence of things. It's the presence of something else. The idea of shalom means wholeness. It's a much bigger picture than just the absence of conflict. It's about a wholeness. It's about a balance in our lives. To really have shalom would mean to bring into balance and into harmony all of the aspects and all of the the things of our lives. You know, our, our work, our parenting, our marriages, our neighbors, the world around us our relationship to the creation. You see, ultimately, shalom, peace, was the thing that was lost in the fall. That, that we were really, we were created to live in harmony and to see the world to function as it should around us. But because of the fall, <coughs> excuse me, we're now living in a place where God is restoring that. And one day, He's going to restore Eden, and we're going to live back in that place of flourishing and seeing one another flourish. One day this world again will function as it should, as we talked about as we went through our heaven series not too long ago. You see, the idea of shalom, it it has the idea of a wall that has no gaps in it. It's not a pond, it's a river. It's not static. God says also, too, that his peace is intertwined with righteousness, Psalm 85, verses 10 and 11, steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. There's a great return for righteousness in our lives. There's a great cost for unrighteousness in our lives, both in our lives and in the culture around us. 
when unrighteousness is, is reigning and ruling, our culture deteriorates, the society that we live in begins to collapse. But when righteousness is reigning, we both prosper individually and corporately. Our neighborhoods, our, our places, are, they, they begin to prosper. You see, there's a great return for righteousness. There's a reason that the, that the armor of God says the breastplate of righteousness, because that breastplate protects our heart. And unrighteousness hardens our hearts. Righteousness softens our hearts. It puts us in a right place, in a good perspective, in a good, a good relationship with God and with the world around us. We need a real return to righteousness in our world today. As a matter of fact, it really needs to begin within the church. Peter tells us that judgment begins in the house of the Lord, right? Uh, Chronicles tells us that, you know, that, that, that if his people who are called by his name will humble themselves and turn from their evil ways. And we say, wow, God, we... We feel like we're trying to do okay or whatever, but I think the reality of it is is that we are so saturated in our society, we become so complacent with and so accepting of the sin that's all around us that it's really crushing us. We're tolerant of things that we really shouldn't be in our own lives, and, 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 that, and that is really having an effect on our hearts. It's having an effect on our mission, and it's having an effect on the peace that we can experience in the midst of this. So I'm, I'm a has-been horse trainer, and um, when, when I would work horses back in the day, I, would, I broke a lot of horses, hundreds, literally, and so I get in the round pen with a horse, and the first thing, you know, especially if it was one that hadn't been messed with much or wasn't really broke, it would see me as the source of pressure. But you see, the whole time, while I was working this horse, I would be trying to be trying to relieve the horse of pressure. See, the reality was, was that the pressure that the horse was seeing wasn't really real. It wasn't what I really intended. <laughs> so what I would begin to do is as they ran away from me, I would begin to put pressure on the things that I didn't want to happen and alleviate pressure in the places that I did. It was positive reinforcement, right? Kind of a thing. And so anytime that the horse would look towards me or give me any kind of acknowledgement, I'm, I'm going to back off. But if they want to just go, I'll just allow that to go until they begin to get kind of a little bit tired enough, and they want to begin to look around for something different. And as soon as they look, I offer freedom. I begin to remove the pressure from the horse and the situation. Ultimately, what the horse would begin to do was they would begin to see me not as pressure, but as the release from pressure. And I think this is very much how God deals with us in our lives is that he allows things in our lives to come, things that are hard, things that are difficult at times. Why? To crush us? No. To get us to look to him and to trust him, to go into a deeper place with him. <clears throat> Excuse me. You see, peace is a gift, and it's given by God. He, he owns this peace that we're talking about. And this is about really beginning to agree with God in our lives. It's about beginning to confess and realize that sin is sin. Whether I like it or the world around me likes it or not, if God has proclaimed and he's called us and He said, look, this is wrong and it's sin and it's unrighteousness, then we need to agree with that. We need to begin to call that. And we need to confess and we need to just get real with the reality of the things that are crushing us in our lives. We need to get rid of them. 
You see, God is about our freedom. All of these you shall nots, thou shalt nots are for your freedom. They're for my freedom. See, when I live in that, I stay free. But when I choose to go against it, when I choose to go my own way, I place myself in bondage about 100% of the time. See, God knows about the things that keep us free, and he's all about it. So we as God's people, we need to begin to agree with God. And we need to, in love, speak truth into the culture around us. Again, we need to not be discipled by the culture. We need to be discipling the culture. We need to be influencing the culture. That means that when we leave here, that you as a believer are designed to go out of here and speak the word of God into, into your world of influence, into, in, into, into the, your circle of influence, into the people that you know, maybe people that you work with. Again, it's not about being obnoxious. It's about loving people enough to tell them the truth. <clears throat> See, the world is, has, has gotten to the place where we want to just begin to say that everything is okay and everything is fine and everything is, is no worries and let's just adjust everything and, and let's, let's, let, let's make everything okay. And I'm here to tell you that our world will not be okay if we live like that. It's only when we agree with God, it's only when we adjust ourselves, our lives and our culture to agree with the righteousness and the goodness of God that we'll experience the peace and the goodness that God intends us to live in. That's what God is calling us to. And this peace, again, is designed to operate in extreme conditions. It's not designed to just be there in the absence of conflict meant to be there in the place of trouble and struggle and toil. See, Gideon was an interesting guy, right? Gideon was, was in, in, in Judges chapter 6, it, it tells this story of Gideon, and I'm not going to get into the whole thing, we're just going to, you know, kind of hit the top of it, but basically, God has turned the, the Israelites, he's, he's given them over to the Midianites, who are just making life miserable for them. And they're incredibly cruel and harsh. And, and they're living in caves, hiding. And Gideon now is in a wine vat, and he's threshing grain <coughs> as he hides so that he can hide this grain away from the Midianites before they come and get it from him. And, and he's, he doesn't understand. He's struggling with why are things this way, and how come this is happening, and this... God sends a, a, the angel of the Lord to, to talk to him. And, and when, he, when God meets with him at that point, he addresses Gideon this way. He says, oh, mighty man of valor. And Gideon's got to be saying, I'm scared to death. What are you calling me the mighty man of valor for? You see, he's hiding everything. There's nothing about him that, that is a mighty man of valor. But God sees him as he truly is and who he will become, not how he is right now. God has a greater vision for your life than you do. Amen? He has a greater vision for your life than you and I do. He's got greater plans for us. And if we would ever be a people who begin to be determined to live into that, we would experience something like we've never experienced before. <clears throat> you see, Gideon, whenever he heard that and God pronounced him to be this mighty man of valor, he built an altar, and he called him Jehovah Shalom. God is peace. Want more peace in your life? 
more God. More God equals more peace. Less God equals less peace. Well, how do we do this? Well, let's look into this. <clears throat> Step one is the gospel. Colossians 1.19. It says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So God himself came in the person of Jesus to make peace with us at the cross. He, he died the death that you and I deserve to pay the penalty for the sin that we had accumulated in our lives so that he might put that to death and then extend to us the righteousness that he has and bring us into eternal life. This is peace with God. And the first thing that we need in our lives, if you don't have that, is you need peace with God. You got to be right with your creator. <clears throat> if you haven't experienced that peace, then you need to experience that. You need to settle that with God. You need to settle this sin debt that's hanging over your head. You need to receive the forgiveness that only God can give. And when he gives it, it's a freeing thing. It's this amazing thing. You see, peace is a person. In Isaiah 9, 6, he's called the, the prince of peace, the prince of shalom, the prince of wholeness, the one who has come, who has come to take what was broken and what's incomplete and bring wholeness and completeness to it, to bring balance and harmony into our lives. We cannot do apart from him. Romans 5, 1 tells us this, though. It says, therefore, if you're in Christ... Since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the means to peace. Through him, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice, we have joy in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. You're like, man, that's... That that's not that fun. No, it's not. But it's a reality to the world that we live in. And thank God that he is at work in the midst of our struggles, that he's at work in the midst of our sufferings, that our suffering actually is being worked, reworked into a purpose that God has in our lives, and he's making something ultimately good out of it. Otherwise, it's just bad, and that's really not a good scenario. We're thankful to have a God who is at work in the midst of our pain and our sorrows and our struggles that he's doing something, that he's active, that he's not static. And in the midst of that, because of that, because he's providing these eddies of life that we can get a break and we can rest in and we can have some peace, we're able to keep rowing down river. <clears throat> See, we rejoice, we have joy. Why? In the hope of glory. Because one day that's our destination. It's not just the here and now. We have something greater to look forward to. And our deepest problem that we could ever have here, his solution is greater. Eternal life trumps every struggle that we can ever have here. And he's in, we can even have joy, not happiness, but joy in our sufferings. Why? Knowing that suffering is producing something in our lives. That God is at work. This was an analogy I got from Chad Cowan at First Baptist, and I liked it, so I'm stealing it. 
This is the SR-71 Blackbird. And this plane uh, holds the world's record for the fastest manned flight in, inside of space kind of a thing. This thing, as it is sitting on the runway, notice the pool beneath it? It is leaking fuel all over the place right now. As a matter of fact, this thing, it, 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 the, the pieces on the thing don't even come together right. It seems hardly like it would even be airworthy. It seems like if you touch this thing off, everything is just going to explode because it's leaking all over the place. But you see, the SR-71 wasn't designed to sit on the deck. That wasn't part of the design. <coughs> Excuse me. This thing flies at 85,000 feet at over 2,000 miles per hour. That's what this thing is designed to do. And when it does that, the airframe on this thing and the covering on this thing heat up to between six and 900 degrees. And when it does, the whole thing begins to swell and all of the engineering for the parts, they all come together just exactly like they're supposed to. They, they come together and they meet just like they're supposed to. And this thing is flying. They sit on a mission, 2,200 miles an hour is the record, but they say on a mission one time it went 2,600 miles an hour. This thing like outruns missiles and stuff. It's, it's crazy, and it's designed for this very thing. It's designed for this harsh, extreme environment, and when it's in that harsh, extreme environment, it's actually operating exactly as it's supposed to. Here's the bad news. Here's the analogy. Christians, you're not supposed to be comfortable. The church isn't supposed to be comfortable. We weren't designed to sit on the deck. We weren't designed to sit on the, on the sidelines. <clears throat> We're not designed to come into our huddle right now, huddle up, and say, okay, here we go. We're going to go, everybody. We're going, hey, ready, break, and then go sit on the bench again. We're designed to be uncomfortable. Jesus said in this world, you'll have trouble. But to take heart, he's overcome the world. He's given us a peace and a joy that surpasses understanding. Something that whenever we're under that place actually comes into its fullness and we experience the peace in a way that we've never understood, that can't even be ex explained away. See, the church isn't meant to sit on the sidelines. We're meant to be active in the world. Paul told us this. He said, if you live a life in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. Not you might be. Not there's a good chance. You will be. And, and that obviously takes on different levels of what persecution looks like. But people ought to at least be making some fun of you. People should at least know who you are and what you're about. So that if, if something happens in their life, maybe they at least know some place that they might be able to go. See, we're supposed to be uncomfortable. And when we're living like that, when the church is operating in a place of discomfort, it's like everything comes together just the way it's engineered to be. And the peace and the joy and the love that God has for us become manifest in the church. And the church begins to move in the environment that it was created to move in. And have the result in that environment that the church is meant to have. We're meant to change the world, guys.
Philippians 4, 6 and 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. My wife, when she goes and she does a Bible study at the gathering place at VOA, she just says, what if we just, what we tend to do, and let's just look at this from the opposite, be anxious about everything. And don't ever pray or ask God for anything. Don't be grateful, be ungrateful. And then guess what? The chaos of the world, which surpasses all understanding, will dominate your hearts and your minds in the world. But when we turn to Him and we start to recognize, and we begin to agree with God, which is step two. Step one is the gospel and and letting the gospel. and, And you know what? If you're a believer in here today, you need to let the gospel soak back in again. Sometimes we get away from it a little bit, but we should be preaching the gospel constantly to ourselves, letting it soak in what God has done on our behalf. Step two is begin to agree with God. Don't be anxious about things things, but talk to him in prayer and supplication. Let's be grateful and let's ask him. And then what is beyond understanding, what is incalculable, what you can't really get a hold of is that a peace can come over you in the deepest, hardest, darkest times. Step three, Abide, stay there. Isaiah 26, 3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. See, we tend to not trust in God. We tend to go to God, ask him, and then when he doesn't immediately respond like this, we begin to trust in other things and we go to other places. Book of James tells us, guess what? You ought not to expect anything in that scenario. You'll be tossed to and fro. Like on the top, like you're just on the wind and the waves, just tossed over here and then over there. Why? Because there will be nothing that is anchored up about you. There will be nothing that will be stable about you because in total instability, we'll be going to here and to there and to there and to here looking for the peace that only God can give us. It means to stay. We're told to abide in Christ. That means to make your home there. It means it's, 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 it's what's on our mind. It's what we're thinking. It's where we're going. It's what we're trusting in. Step one, have, get, in, get peace with your relationship to your creator. Step two, agree with him, confess, turn. The Bible says repent. It means simply to change your mind. Agree with him. Step three is stay there, abide. And the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I don't know what you're going through today, but he does. He knows exactly where you're at today. And it's in the storm that we find this peace. It's in this place of chaos at times where this peace shows up that can't be explained. It defies all description. It shows up. And where it shouldn't be, where by all rights, by the circumstances of our lives, we should not be at peace, we can be there. You can find it there in that place. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.
Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you give us peace where we could find none, that your peace is found in harsh circumstances, in difficult places. But Lord, your provision is there for us, and what would seem to be an insurmountable obstacle at times, right behind it is an eddy. It's a place where we can find rest and hope and peace. Lord, I pray peace over just everyone here today. Not the peace that the world gives, but the peace that you give, Jesus. A greater peace, a shalom. Lord, may shalom fall on this place. And Lord, may we be a people who are determined to bring into rightness and balance every aspect of our lives. May we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and then allow you to add all things to us from there. So Lord, we give you great praise because you are a great God. We're grateful for this day. We're thankful for all that you're at work doing. And even in the hard times, even in the difficulties, Lord, we still continue to acknowledge you and give you praise and thank you because you're not static Because even in the reality of the difficulties of this world, you're at work. And you're producing perseverance and endurance in us. And so we just put ourselves before you, Lord. We ask that you would forgive us for the places where we've just acknowledged and just just said that sin was okay and that it was good. and, and, uh, And we haven't really named it like it is. We haven't agreed with you, Lord. We want to agree with you. We want to repent and we just want to ask you to do what you do best, to restore us, redeem us, God. We thank you, Lord, for your love for us, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.